So Jesus finds himself today in this passage in the borderlands, somewhere between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Jesus did not have to go the way that he did. There are ways that if Jesus wanted to, he could have stayed away out of this area between Samaria and Galilee. And for those of you who have heard about the Samaritans now probably a million times, you know that the Jewish people and the Samaritans did not get along. They're like first cousins that are fighting over who gets the inheritance, right? And it's a pretty nasty battle between the two of them. Jews, in fact, who were trying to make sure that they were ritually clean would have avoided this area intentionally. But here Jesus is, as Jesus is prone to do, in a bit of a thin space. The borderland is a unique space. Gloria Anzanzula, who has done a lot of work about borderlands, says this, that the borderlands are a psychic, social, and cultural terrain that we inhabit and that inhabits all of us. She writes that while borders are set up to define the places that are safe and unsafe to distinguish us from them, a borderland is a vague and undetermined place created by the emotional residue of an unnatural boundary. The prohibited and the forbidden are its inhabitants. Now, if you doubt that this is true, let me give you a little history on the rivalry between Ohio State and Michigan. (laughs) You see, this is not just about football, friends. This is not just about two universities, but it comes down to the Toledo War of 1835 and 1836. There, a fine strip of land between Perrysburg and Toledo From the border of Ohio to Lake Erie, which now I regret that we have, but at the time seemed like it was a good thing to keep because no one likes Toledo. Um, Even people in Toledo don't like Toledo. Just trust me on this one. (laughs) It's not personal. (laughs) There was a war, and, and it actually had one person that got hurt. It was 1,000 versus 600 One of the Ohioans, looking not to get arrested, stabbed a Michigander with a penknife and fleed into Ohio. And so eventually Congress found a way to settle the dispute. Ohio got its little strip of land, and in return, Michigan, after some consternation, received the Upper Peninsula and then joined statehood. Now, at the time, they thought, like Stewart's Folly, it was a waste of space, but turns out the mineral rights were pretty good, and, you know, Michigan got their due. But here's the thing. You know, I know we could talk about football rivalries down here in Jacksonville, but if y'all have not been in Columbus or Ann Arbor on that game... I mean, it is a fair competition between the two, and all that animosity is from a made-up border set up just about 200 years ago. You know, there would not be a Florida-Georgia game had there not been somebody a little over you know, a century ago that decided there was going to be a border placed about a half hour north of here. But yet here we are, and in just a few short weeks, we are going to 
once again celebrate this rivalry. Now, of course, the reality of borderlands are far more serious than sports rivalries, and people can be defined and redefined by how borders transgress them. The current war in Ukraine being a prime example. You know, there was just a referendum, which seems by all intents and purposes to be a sham referendum that people by gunpoint voted to become annexed by Russia. Well, when your land suddenly changes, you too are changed. You might have been Ukrainian one day, and now the next day you are disputed to be Ukrainian or Russian. As borders change, as borders transgress over us, we are different people. And we recognize that there are a lot of borders and frontiers that we contend with, and because they're in the in-between, they can cause us a lot of discomfort. You know, every time we start to define who we are, we, too, start setting borders. And over time, just like a well-guarded fortress, the more that we are able to define our boundaries, we get a little bit more comfort on the inside. And over time, as our comfort gets more settled and secure, me, we might want to find ways to harden those borders. We start to set into motion with these borderlands as well that we expect things will stay the same. You don't expect a brick wall to have to get changed every six months on account of something new happening. No, once you set your boundaries and you set your borders, they're pretty much locked in stone. I mean, literally in that case. And on first glance, then, we start to look at what's going on with these nine folks here in Luke. But here's the thing. There is no other reason to expect that these nine folks, that Jesus is like, why did they come back? To expect that they would have done anything different than what exactly happened. In Luke 5, we can see Jesus doing actually an exact same thing. There was somebody who was a leper that came to him and said, Jesus, can I be healed? And Jesus said, yes, go to the priest and demonstrate that you were healed. And that is the end of the story. A very similar example of what happened. So we get this sense that the nine didn't necessarily do anything wrong per se. Jesus healed them. They went on their way go to the priest and be made clean. But this is something completely new and completely different for our dear friend, the 10th, the Samaritan. There was no expectation, no reality of being healed. And honestly, if you were a Samaritan with a Jewish rabbi saying, I will make you whole, I will heal you, you might have been a little suspect about that. Because that's not what Jewish rabbis would do with Samaritans. And so we can understand that just as we take for granted events that fall within our expectations, those who do not have the same expectations can actually then respond with joy and celebration. If I just expect I'm going to get healed, then it's not a big deal. But if I don't expect it, well, then there's cause 
for celebration. Now, this actually came really clear for me yesterday. You know, we're getting ready to go visit Ohio and trying to decide which car we're going to take. And so you know, we decided we'd take my car, and my car is a wreck um, because I take the kids to and from school every day. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that one of you gently said, well, it's a working car. That's like, bless your heart. That is so sweet of you to say. But we both know I am a mess when it comes to my car. So Lindsay and I decided we'd go get it cleaned up and we'd go down to, you know, the car wash over on Emerson. And you know what happened? We got caught by none other than the San Marco train which you know is serious and a problem because it does have its own Twitter account. <laughs> and we got stuck. And I swear that thing went about two miles an hour. And then it stopped. I'm not kidding, it, it stopped. And then I was convinced it was actually going backwards for a few seconds, but that was just my mind playing tricks on me. And Lindsay will tell you I started to get a little antsy. I was like, come on, look, we got to get going. Yeah, but I was, in, I was in the wrong lane to actually do what everybody else does, which is do the U-turn and head my way out. And Lindsay's like, what are you trying to do, Adam? Like, just relax, we'll get there. And you know what happened? Like, once I sort of eased my own expectations of when we were going to get to the car wash and what we were going to do, I actually just sort of rolled down the windows, kicked on music, you know, like the 90s R&B and rap that I feel uncomfortable sharing with the kids, but like Lindsay and I could sort of relax and, you know, I don't get to listen to Wu-Tang as much as I used to, and, and, and I did yesterday, and that was great. The three of you who thought that was funny, I'm, you know, this is good. <laughs> but once I sort of took a deep breath, and I was like, you know, this is, this is it's not what I expected. My Boundaries are being transgressed a little bit, but once I stopped worrying about it and I just enjoyed what was in front of me, well, I found a little bit of joy and celebration. And honestly, Lindsay and I don't get a whole lot of time by ourselves anymore. So it was nice just to sit as an adult with my spouse on Emerson in really one of the least attractive parts of Jacksonville. I found more satisfaction when I stopped worrying about the boundaries and borders. So an interesting question seems to arise here as we think about borderlands and who's on one side and who's on the other. How was a Samaritan anyway with a group of Jews? That's just kind of odd. You know, they work very hard in their boundaries to sort of stay apart from each other. And yet somehow we're greeted with these folks that 10% of the organization are people that are considered suspect and degenerate. And I think it's because at that point in their lives, when they were there in the frontier, in the borderlands, what defined them was no longer what country they came from, but their shared connection, that being leprosy. They were no longer Jew or Samaritan. They were ten lepers in a liminal space hoping to be healed. And it's funny how when you stop worrying about the things that define you, you find new ways to connect. What defined them 
was their need and not their nationality. What had been a border had then been dissolved. And I can imagine these new compatriots certainly having some awkward moments, but they found that something then bounded them together until, of course, it wasn't needed or welcome anymore. Well, you know, the second that we're healed and we're no longer lepers, well, I guess we go back. Like, all right, dude, see you later. Have a good time with the rest of your life. Now the nine are back to who they have been. Borders redefined and now no longer transgressed. And Luke's writing actually gives us a clue to this. Do you notice that in that text, not at the beginning, but at the end, do we know that this person was a Samaritan? At the beginning of this story, they're just simply ten lepers somewhere between Galilee and Samaria. Turned out it didn't matter a whole lot where they came from. It's only after that they're healed do we find out that this man is indeed a foreigner amidst locals. But you know, where does that leave the Samaritan in all of this? Well, given the option that I could run home clean and go visit a priest or go stay where I'm at clean and with Jesus, well, I think the Samaritan got the better end of the deal. And the Samaritan got on the ground and praised God for what happened, a moment worth celebrating. And what's sad is the rest of the Samaritan's community, the other nine, did not get to see the salvation of this one man. They lost an opportunity to see something beautiful in their midst because now, hey, we're nine Jews just heading back to temple. Which should cause us at times to wonder about how limiting our own, or, or causing ourselves to be limited by our expectations and our need to bring borders around us and what it causes with our own faith. I mentioned at the beginning of this service that I noticed that I felt like things today were going to be kind of special. And here's the thing. With Natalie and Oscar and Angie here, we have three languages that we're working with, right? American Sign Language and Spanish and English all together in one service. Jan sang to us today another language, a fourth language, through vibration and tone. There is typically not a week that goes by now at South Jacksonville Presbyterian Church that there aren't at least a few separate countries that are represented either here in person or online. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love to see, after I upload the podcast, what other countries listen to the sermon. You know, it's not just a bunch of Jackson, uh, Jacksons. People in Germany, Japan, Ukraine... Russia, I'm presuming, are bots or trolls, but they'll get their Jesus somehow. All across the world, people are listening to just what we're doing here. And you know, there's also rarely a week that goes by that we don't have folks with different backgrounds, sexual orientations, histories, political affiliations, and other identities that show up here and worship together every Sunday. We have unbeknownst perhaps to us, become an amalgam of borderlands on a Sunday, which is really saying something because, again, this time is one of the least diverse times in the country. But yet, when I look around, we are not the same. I mean, we are, like, incredibly diverse for a Presbyterian church.
The choice is whether or not, dear friends, we want to harden our own borders or we want to explore the liminal space together. I am mindful that some churches even today are making a choice to harden borders. And I don't pass judgment on that necessarily. You know, having to go after a church service and sign a a sexual purity statement to guarantee that you're a member of a church. Like, I don't necessarily pass judgment on that. But I do wonder if Jesus were to ask the same question of those churches and those people today and the congregations that they're in as he did to the nine. Have you limited yourself, dear brothers and sisters, because you just expected it this way? And there is comfort in that, sure. It's nice to know that your friends in the pew agree with you. It's nice that they look like you and talk like you and have experiences like you. But you know what? Is comfortable stagnation really living? Is it really salvation? The question should be, dear brothers and sisters, if we really believe that the trade for not seeking the foreigner is worth a monochromatic faith where salvation is not readily visible any longer. Is that the trade you want? Grayscale worship? Because we were too afraid to see the person who transgresses our borders? See the salvation that we too celebrate? Perhaps better. Are we willing as a church to live somewhere between Galilee and Samaria in our hearts, to live within the borderlands, the liminal spaces, the frontera, and witness the Christ providing salvations to those who once thought it was not possible? If a day like today is any indication, when I can look around and I see how God works in the lives of people thrown all around the world, different expressions, different highlights, if you remember what went on last Sunday where we talked about a World Communion Sunday, then I'd like to think that this is the better way to do it. I'd rather live in an awkward, at times uncomfortable, full-colored salvation than a comfortable monochromatic reality because I see very little transformative about that. But if today is any indication, and the weeks coming are any indication, we are well on our way to living within the borderlands. Let us pray then, let us hope then, let us work towards an end that everyone who gathers in this space knows that they're beloved, knows that there's salvation at hand, not because of how they look or what represents them, but because specifically of the border-transgressing Jesus who celebrates those who are not like us. And let us see the celebrations of bright color everywhere. Thanks be to God.